This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 128, Seven Reasons Bank on Yourself is Legitimately the Real Deal. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Wow, so we are continuing our mini-series on whether or not bank on yourself is a scam. And, you know, technically, as you know, the internet has no end. There is no end to the internet and the opinions that people can express thereon. So we technically could continue this series uh, forever if we want to. Not that I will. I promise you we have more fun to to get into, but I don't want to move past this. There are seven big, big core reasons why I believe bank on yourself is not only not a scam, but it's legitimately one of the best and truest financial assets you can have in your portfolio. So I want to get into that, but there were several other articles that I did come across that I didn't want to spend an entire episode breaking down like we've been doing the last few weeks. Uh, For example, there was a a written article by the White Coat Investor, Uh, who's a famous doctor writing about finance. It's always good when I work on people's, um, you know, uh, when they get a broken leg, I'm always there to help fix that broken leg because I'm an expert in, in medicine. So it's always good when the doctor is also able to give us advice on money. Just kidding, of course. I won't fix your leg. I will be the one to call 911, though, if you need it. Okay. But anyway, so uh, this gentleman, uh, who's a very famous writer, blogger, back in 2012, uh, he wrote an article um, that comments some of the uh, negative, negative, uh, negative reactions or insights into bank on yourself and infinite banking. So the author of the blog, the doctor, Dr. Jim Dahl, was flooded with positive case studies in his comments section and testimonials. In those comments on this article that he had lambasted bank on yourself, he wrote several times, hey, you know what? I don't think bank on yourself is crazy, quote, and, quote, it's perfectly acceptable as a strategy, quote, even if he doesn't do it himself. He even gives a list of good uses for permanent whole life insurance, like reducing your estate taxes or providing some cash upon your passing. Among his list of acceptable uses is number seven when he says, quote, pretend you are your own bank, end quote. He said it wasn't right for him, bank on yourself, that is, but it would work just fine for the right person. So too bad for Dr. Jim. But all the better for you when you need a loan for your medical practice. Uh, So when the time comes, I'm here to chat if you want to talk more about it. Uh, But it got me thinking that with all the misinformation out there, it would be a good idea to put some acceptable, legitimate truths out there on the Internet on why Bank on Yourself is a fantastic financial asset and has been for Americans for generations, really as long as we've had a constitution in the United States. So here are seven reasons why bank on yourself type whole life policies are legitimately the real deal. Number one, banks, corporations, and famous wealthy people use it. Okay, so let's just talk about a few case studies quickly here. Ted Benna, who is, uh, you know, you may have heard his name on our podcast. We've certainly tried to make him a a rock star. He is already. Ted, don't worry, you are. Uh, But it caused quite a stir when 
Ted Benna, the man who's credited of, of being the father of the 401k, recently announced that he's put a substantial part of his own money, probably, quote, he says, probably the biggest part of my wealth, quote, into what's most commonly known as a bank on yourself type whole life plan. You see, for at least six years now, Benna has been calling the 401k a scam, a monster that, quote, should be blown up, according to Market Watch. And we talked about this in more detail back way back in episode nine. So check that out if you want to learn more about what Ted Benna says. Ted Benna is credited with finding a way to capitalize on the tax code to create a way for working employees to supplement their pension plans uh, that many workers used to have. And those pension plans since then have been disappearing. The 401k was what he created or found, let's say, in the tax code. And the 401k was hopefully there to help pick up the slack. But, but... In a recent interview, Ted Benna discussed three reasons why we should be very leery of 401ks and also other things like IRAs. Uh, the government may repeal the 401k and IRA, so you don't know uh, really exactly how much you're going to get out of that thing. Uh, and you won't be able to put any more money into pre-tax anyway into these accounts. Or the money you can put in would be dramatically reduced. Congress considered doing that again recently, as recent as the reform tax reforms of 2017. So that's number one. Number two, Benna believes the next stock and bond market crash is imminent and could wipe out 40% of the typical portfolio. Now that sounds fine, like you could stomach 40%, but could you cut your expenses this month by 40% without warning, right? So let that sink in. Wall Street, the third reason, Wall Street has hijacked these 401k plans and have built excessive fees and needless complexity charged by mutual fund companies and plan administrators, and they're robbing you of up to half of your nest egg, Ted Benna says. So that's the first guy. The second guy I wanted to bring up is a gentleman named Jim Harbaugh. You might know his name. Despite having not reached the pinnacle of the sport yet in terms of national championships, uh, Michigan made Jim Harbaugh the highest paid head man in the country in August of 2016. The avenue in which Harbaugh and the university accomplished this was not so average, right? Not commonly seen in professional or amateur sports. After his first seasons with the, with the Wolverines, Harbaugh and the leaders at Michigan entered into what's called a split dollar loan uh, agreement. So that's called a split dollar loan agreement under which the university agrees to make seven payments, $2 million each, to seven loan advances, $2 million each, that would pay the premiums on a cash value life insurance policy on Harbaugh. So this is uh, according to ThinkAdvisor. We looked this up, found out all the details. Not only does Harbaugh's beneficiaries receive a death benefit when he passes away, but the Michigan head man, uh, can borrow money out of that policy tax-free, both federal and state tax-free, as long as the policy continues to meet uh, sustainability requirements. The type of the product is not uncommon for successful business owners, high-wealth individuals exceeding major income thresholds to contribute to regular Roth IRAs. And if that executive, that high-earning business owner, well, let's say, what is wanting to put away or is interested in putting away tax-deferred money and get the money out with tax-free access or tax advantages, the 401k and IRA simply won't let you do it, especially the Roth IRA. You can be uh, earned out, as they say, of the Roth IRA. So one of the most common types of insurance to provide cash value is whole life insurance. We often talk about this 
on our podcast, but it can be easily owned by a business as well as an individual. Most of the conversations we've had on our episodes so far are around personally owned type policies, but there's no reason why your business, if you own one, or in this case, the state university nonprofit could own the policy on you. And if the policy is funded correctly, the policy can be provided to yourself, your family, or your key employees in your business. And it can act as the equivalent of a deferred compensation plan while costing the employer less than a traditional deferred compensation plan might cost. So the next time you hear rumors of Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan for a major NFL gig, just keep in mind that his life insurance policy should keep him around at least for seven years as a key employee. Speaking of sports, Babe Ruth, of all people, now he's not, you know, so much in the news these days, but in his heyday, he sure was. He had a lot of his money in life insurance. And we have the applications and paperwork to prove it in our show notes. In fact, we have a replica I found on Amazon of his life insurance policy. It was for sale. If you want a copy of Babe Ruth's uh, life insurance policy, you can get it right there on Amazon. And according to baseballhall.com, where they keep track of all this, a Western Union telegram in 1920 revealed that shortly after signing with the Yankees, uh, the Babe, Babe Ruth, actually bought as many as five life insurance policies. And it, it even mentions the insurance companies. It was Travelers, Aetna, Equitable, Hartford, Fidelity Casualty, all buying uh, bought policies um, from those companies. And so this was a sure sign that even Babe Ruth at that time uh, saw that he was going to become very valuable. And so he certainly has been. You know, uh, Warren Buffett, w- uh, widely considered to be one of the most successful investors in our, in our time, he actually owns several life insurance companies, the whole company he owns, his company owns. So, you know, I don't know if, uh, you know, if you recall, but uh, Warren Buffett can only own the kind of insurance companies that are publicly traded. But Bank on Yourself actually focuses on uh, whole life insurance companies that are mutually owned. So he technically and legally cannot own the kind of insurance companies that we use here for Bank on Yourself because they are owned exclusively by policy owners rather than stockholders. So for more famous people like Walt Disney and more, check out episode 66, The Secret Life of Life Insurance. So if Bank on Yourself was so clearly and obviously a scam, what are all these famous people doing? (laughs) What are all these major financial institutions uh, doing, owning these policies over the last 100 plus years? If you're still skeptical, let me ask you, is it even possible that they knew something that you don't? So, you know, banks have a do as I say, not as I do type hypocrisy. Uh, so again, we've got famous people, financial institutions, and now even banks do say, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, a gentleman named Barry Dyke wrote a great book called The Pirates of Manhattan, which exposes the hypocrisy that banks and some of the biggest financial institutions are truly purchasing these whole life policies, but you know, recommending that their customers do the exact opposite. Wells Fraud, I mean, Wells Fargo, excuse me, uh, uh, has billions upon billions of dollars wrapped up in life insurance. JP Morgan, U.S. Bank, Bank of America, uh, and wealth management banks like BNY Mellon. They all have massive amounts of permanent life insurance. Banks are more invested in life insurance uh, than they are in their own pension funds. That should shake things up a bit in your mind, right? You just can't beat the law of large numbers. The insurance companies themselves uh, have done the math 
on the law of large numbers, meaning they know precisely what to invest in, what the expenses are going to be, how much mortality risk there's going to be, and banks get that. They know that the experts in the room are the life insurance companies, even above and beyond their own, the bank's own pension fund. So banks tell their customers, do as I say, not as I do. We had another episode called, uh, you know, watch what banks do and do that. And don't listen to what they tell you to do with your money. Enron founder Ken Lay had $13 million in assets and $13 million in debts when he passed away. And so that, of course, canceled everything out whenever he did pass away. But that would have left his wife with nothing, right, after he passed. But he did have $10 million in that split-dollar life insurance arrangement that we mentioned uh, previously, earlier in the episode, from Enron. And he had $5 million in annuities. And because he lived in Texas when he died, the assets and the liabilities uh, canceled each other out. But his wife still got the $15 million from his annuities and life insurance tax-free. Lehman Brothers, they too, like Enron, went famously, famously they went bankrupt. But they themselves bought a billion-dollar annuity for their own executives, for their own pension. Wow. And when they went bankrupt, their common man employees, there were 23,000 employees of Lehman Brothers, uh, they got dumped into the broker, the broke internal pension program, the quasi-governmental pension benefit guarantee corporation, another way to say a taxpayer bailout. So while the executives kept their well-funded insurance annuity for a billion dollars, the employees got ripped off and it was all dumped on the taxpayer. So the hypocrisy from banks is incredible. In fact, in fact, banks are legally required legally required to have a foundation of very safe liquid assets known as tier one capital. And life insurance is considered to be so safe that bank regulators allow life insurance policies uh, owned by banks to meet that tier one capital requirement. In fact, according to the most recent statistics, the nation's banks owned guaranteed cash value permanent life insurance with a surrender value of approximately $166 billion on the books according to Equius Alliance. So that is the first reason. I promise not all of them will take that long, but that one was a big one. So number two, your grandma did it, (laughs) right? So uh, why is bank on yourself legitimate? It's because grandma did it. Life insurance has been the bedrock for our grandparents' savings generation and their savings plans. Back in 1900, the statistics say that half of all American savings was held in life insurance and annuities. And fully one third of Americans owned whole life insurance policies in 1950, according to the American Council of Life Insurers. Now, back then, families routinely used their policies for all sorts of things, guys, like emergency funds, car loans, business loans. And it was common for whole life insurance to be the foundation of a family's financial plan. According to the U.S. Commerce Bureau, 1940 Americans uh, saved 30% of all of their income. And today, we're only saving less than 5%. So maybe our grandparents knew something that we've all forgotten. From 1940 to 1970, whole life insurance was the most popular insurance product. Policies secured income for families in the event that somebody passed away too soon. But it also helped subsidize retirement income planning. After the passing of uh, the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act, or TEFRA, in 1981, many banks and insurance companies became more interest-sensitive. Individuals weighed the benefits of purchasing whole life insurance against investing in the stock market, where the returns were going to be great, right? Between 10 and 
The majority of individuals at that point began investing in the stock market and dumping their whole life policies. So it's after 1981 that we really saw the stock market shoot up and saw whole life insurance uh, fade to the background. But if you want to learn more about what grandma thought about money, I totally recommend checking out the podcast Grandma's Wealth Wisdom with Brandon and Amanda Neely. They're some of my favorite people in the world. They've done multiple podcasts on the mindset of grandma and what you can learn from her in today's complex economic environment. So number three, I believe that bank on yourself is legitimate because it's 10 times safer than a bank account, a bank savings account. Have you ever thought about what happens to your money when you put it into the bank? Most people think of bank savings accounts as the super safe place to keep your cash. At least it's not just laying around, right? Uh, in, in a shoebox or bouncing around in the stock market. So why are banks so eager to keep your cash on hand? Why are they so willing to advertise, hey, come over here and put your money with us and we'll give you a whopping 0.01% interest? Well, it's because the more they can capitalize their deposits, the more they can loan that deposit money out. But it's worse than that. If you have $1,000 in a bank account, big banks are able to loan out $900 out of your $1,000. In other words, 90%. And smaller credit unions can loan out 98% of your deposit, according to Investopedia. That's huge. 98% of your money is gone. So the global financial crisis of 2008 provided the impetus for the passing of what we call the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act of 2010. That was created to ensure that the largest U.S. banks kept enough cash on hand, capital, to withstand systematic shocks to the banking system. Dodd-Frank, specifically known as the Collins Amendment, set this tier one risk-based capital ratio for the uh, 4% number, you know, roughly mentioned above. So essentially, they moved that, that, 20, uh, that 2% deposit number all the way up to 4%. So an entire 4% of your money is on hand if you need it. Gee, thanks, Mr. Banker, right? In contrast, regulators impose big-time capital reserve ratios for life insurance companies to conduct business. Most reserve requirements are going to be established for life insurance companies at the state level. Standard levels include over 100%, over 100% of your deposits. So let me say it clearly. A well-capitalized life insurance company has to have 10 times as much on reserve as your local bank in terms of total assets in liquid cash to pay the life insurance company's liabilities, like death benefits. That's according to the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. They can also calculate an amount of 10 to 12% of their revenue in uh, liquid cash. However, there's a big difference between insurance companies and banks when it comes to reserve requirements. Remember, life insurance companies cannot create fiat money, but banks can. Thus, the insurance company can only invest or loan out um, roughly 85% of the policy owner's assets. That's why you can only get 85% of your loan uh, when you request one. Banks, on the other hand, can start with their capital reserve requirement, uh, again, 10 4%, depending on the size of the bank, and loan that money out uh, far more greater, right, uh, than the 90%. In fact, their ability to loan out money is almost infinite. If you haven't read How Privatized Banking Really Works by uh, Carlos Laura and Robert Murphy, totally get a copy of that book and read it. 
And if you look at life insurance companies' balance sheets, you're going to find that most of them have about 85% of their total assets invested in fixed income, like bonds, that sort of thing. Their liquid reserve requirements are about 15% of the assets. So think of it this way. The insurance company has to keep our cash values fully available in case we surrender our policy. In other words, 100% of your cash value is available and liquid right away if we cash out and walk away from our policy this week, today. That's why it's called guaranteed cash surrender value in the contracts of these life insurance policies. And if we pass away, the insurance company needs to have a percentage of money on top of that cash value to pay your death benefit as well. So if you live and walk away, you get your cash value. If you pass away, the life insurance company can scratch together more than enough for your death benefit without batting an eye. Life insurance companies are strictly regulated to have four layers of protection. One, they're audited regularly by state insurance commissioners sometimes by dozens of states, to ensure they maintain the right amount of reserves to pay all the claims and are on solid financial ground. Two, if a company gets into financial difficulty, the state insurance commissioner office can take over and run the company in the interest of policyholders. Number three, most insurance companies are going to be audited regularly by independent rating agencies as well, on top of the state regulators. And number four, there might be state-by-state additional protections just based on where you live. So that's number three. Number four, uh, bank on yourself is legitimate because the life insurance company itself keeps your money diversified and safe. So due to financial strength and reserves, the insurance company have to put a lot of that money on hold for assets that may decline in value until they recover. Uh, They had virtually no exposure to risky investments that caused the market meltdown of 2008. Insurance companies are masters at under-promising and over-delivering and have never missed an annual dividend to policyholders for more than 100 years, including the Great Depression. Okay, so if it's a scam, why are they so profitable, right? As for insurance company investments, the bulk of their portfolio is invested in investment-grade fixed-income assets. Their bond portfolio is highly diversified across industries and companies, and typically no investment is more than just, say, 2% of their overall general fund. So if you like the idea of diversification, but you don't want to mess with picking and choosing portfolios, constantly rebalancing, tax loss harvesting, or paying high fees to an investor to lock up your money and charge you fees for the privilege, If you own a bank-on-yourself-designed whole-life policy, you're tapping into the experience of a team of certified financial analysts, bond investors, and actuaries who grow your money in a safe, predictable way while you still have access to the cash. That's the key, right? You still have liquid access to that money, and there's no assets under management fees. There's no risk of loss. Okay, and that's, that's going to be a big chunk of this, according to S&P Market Intelligence and EY Analysis. We can see some of the, some of the breakdowns of these portfolios, and we'll include this little pie chart or this, um, this uh, percentage chart in our show notes as well. Uh, like Dan Proskauer said in episode 118, quote, when you put money into things that are guaranteed not to lose money, you only make money, end quote. Seriously, you got to check out his episode and see his chart. His, his chart shows his net worth tripling over the last 10 years with these policies. And listen to Tim Austin in episode 106 and 107. He says he's had a higher net worth every year, month, and day for decades since starting his whole life policies in the 1980s. 
Could it be that insurance companies have been misrepresented, possibly, by banks? Don't forget where your information comes from. How many times have insurance companies been bailed out by taxpayers? Now, think how many times have banks been bailed out by taxpayers? Need I say more? Need I say more? Number five, reason why bank on yourself is legitimate, it is a major driver in the U.S. economy. So according to Insurance Information Institute and the Center for Capital Markets, the U.S. insurance companies finance long-term improvements in the U.S. real economy. And it drives, they drive, these insurance companies drive much needed municipal infrastructure investments like potholes, bridges. They support developers as they improve and construct commercial and multifamily properties like real estate, apartment buildings. They help farmers purchase needed land, buildings, equipment. They fund a variety of business activity across the United States. By investing policyholder premiums in anticipation of future claims, U.S. insurance companies deploy capital focused on long duration, relatively low volatility investments. These investments are going to support businesses, households, local governments. They're an important part, important source of stability to the financial markets. Uh, so the U.S. insurance companies have a unique business model that creates a distinct set of investment criteria. In other words, specifically, insurance companies aim to invest in long-held, held to maturity, lower-risk assets. The long duration of these bonds, investments, and, and more, real estate and more, is used to pay off death benefit claims and to pay dividends to the policyholders. As a result, the U.S. insurance company industry is going to be in, in the thick of it for the long term. These, res these insurance companies holding these long-term positions, other than investors, let's say, are going to be able to hold positions for a long period of time without having to buy and sell, buy and sell, because they have a big you know, market crash or a liquidity problem. This means that the insurance companies can invest and hold for the long term and get a better yield than us mere mortals could buying bonds and so forth. So this unique investment strategy of insurance companies is going to result in real, tangible, long-term projects being financed by these insurance companies and indirectly by you and me, the policyholders. I remember one time I visited a hotel and I knew, just happened to know, that this particular hotel had been financed and purchased and owned by the life insurance company, one of the life insurance companies that I have a policy with. And I, I was in that room, that hotel room that day, and I sort of smiled and I thought, you know what? Maybe I, with the premiums I paid to the policy, maybe I somehow financed that lamp over there. <laughs> or I somehow was the owner, some part of the ownership of that hotel. It just felt nice, if nothing else. So this investment strategy of insurance companies are putting real, actual buildings in the ground, jobs, uh, fixing roads, bridges, etc., and that's real tangible benefit. If this was a big scam, I don't think any of that would be really going on, right? So if it was a big scam, how could they build 1,000 elementary schools every year, as one uh, study reported? Uh, and their annual investments in municipal bonds for transportation projects uh, each year could build a road from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles every single year. That's how much they invest in uh, municipal bonds for transportation. So the U.S. life and PC, PNC insurance investment assets, so in other words, all of the life insurance companies uh, in this country, their total investment assets were roughly $5.8 trillion 
dollars, $5.8 trillion as of December 2017. Life insurance companies alone, not including property and casualty insurance, was $4.1 trillion of these investments, and the rest was property and casualty insurance companies, making them one of the largest sources of capital in the nation. So, and that's according to the P&C insurance companies. That's according to that same S&P market intelligence study that was done. Insurance carriers and related activities contributed $602 billion, or 3.1% of the nation's GDP in 2017. That's according to the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis. There were almost 6,000 insurance companies in 2017, according to the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, including almost 900 life and annuity companies and 82 fraternals, which we work with both of those type of companies. And they paid out more than $21 billion in federal, state, and local taxes, according to the U.S. Department of Commerce. That's $64 for every living person in the United States. That means uh, for my family, my taxes were $200 cheaper than they would have been. So that's awesome, too. Again, the U.S. insurance industry employs 2.7 million people, according to the U.S. Department of Labor. And that's 1.5 million working at the insurance companies themselves. Wow. And I could go on, but I think that's enough, right? We've got a legitimate industry here, not a scam. Number six, reason why this is a legitimate strategy, the money is still liquid. It's still available, even in tough times. Okay, so let's pull back a minute. We just dove deep into portfolio analysis. Let's zoom out a little bit. Let's think about what usually constitutes a financial scam. Think about that for a minute. If somebody tells you to put their money with their, quote, investment, let's say it's some swampland in Florida or the next Tickle Me Elmo or something, and your money has to go into their private trust, their ownership, right? If it's a scam, you typically don't have access to that investment. Heck, even if it's a legitimate investment, if you're buying some swampland in Florida or buying some equipment or all that, all those plush toys for the investment, you can't get the money out next week. Some people I work with are skeptical of the bank on yourself strategy even after they start their policies. Wow. Even after they start their policy, they're still skeptical that this thing is really going to work. And they're skeptical all the way up to the point where they take their first policy loan. So for some people I work with, for them, they don't truly become believers until that huge bucket of money gets dumped back into their bank account as a policy loan. They still have their money. How could it be a scam to separate you from your money, right? How could it be a, a scam if insurance companies are willing within just a few days to give you 85 to 90% of your money in the form of a loan? and 100% of your cash value if you decide to surrender and walk away. If this was a pyramid scheme or a scam, that would tumble over fast. Okay, Life insurance cash values serve as a source of available capital to individuals, families, business owners, and we're talking in the billions of dollars. And in fact, as of the last available data, there was $129 billion in life insurance loans outstanding. If bank on yourself whole life policies were a scam, would you be able to get your money out so easily? Would there be this much in policy loans outstanding if the insurance companies are just looking to cook the books or rip you off or something? Of course not. So that's number six. And finally, wrapping it up, number seven, there are disclosures aplenty. 
<laughs> Disclosures aplenty. Another trademark of scams and scammers is that they're trying to get you to move past any official paperwork, legal documents. They want to sign it off with a handshake and just get you to trust them. They want you just to trust them without providing you any paperwork, paper trail, or details. This is referred to as either passive or active concealment. I looked up kind of the definition of scam, and that was one of the big ones, uh, active or passive concealment, to get you to just kind of move past nothing to see here, just sign here, and um, they won't leave you a lot of dis disclosures. And I can tell you, I can tell you, having several full-time employee, employees in my business just to help with the paperwork, that the insurance companies are not light on disclosures. They want you to know exactly what you're buying if you care to find out. I also believe that they are genuine in working to make their business and products as clear as possible for the consumer. In addition to long legal contracts, the insurance companies have multiple consumer-friendly printed material and brochures that they keep on their public website to inform you uh, about what they offer. They're genuinely wanting your business. They believe that information is the best way to keep loyal customers for life. If you want to get a copy of one of these disclosures, uh, reach out to me or you can just go to our show notes. I'd be happy to give you a copy of them and put it right up on our show notes for you just so you can have a copy. Uh, There's a really good one from Mass Mutual that we'll include in our show notes. Uh, so similarly, Bank on Yourself's own Pamela Yellen exhaustively writes research articles, e-zines, and does a tremendous amount of in-depth research to disclose the myths and truths of the financial industry and the reality of whole life insurance and the insurance industry. Some of the best work on the internet, in my opinion, is on her website. Even if you're not a fan of the Bank on Yourself strategy, she regularly comes up on the first page of Google for several hundred keywords on the topic. So that means she's got authority in the space. You know, her authority in the space comes from her legitimate writing and reporting each week. If you're, if you're not getting her research delivered to your inbox, go to findoutmorenow.com, findoutmorenow.com, use the passcode MW95. That's MW95. We'll include a short link to that site in our show notes. So what are some takeaways from this episode? Number one, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Was that even really necessary to say? But of course, we need to remember that not everything on the internet is true. Number two, if you're still not convinced after this long episode and after all the research, do your own research. But I recommend you look for sources that truly have authority on the matter. You might take preference in reading books over blogs, for example. One book I'd recommend is to read through the book Financial Independence in the 21st Century by Duane and Suzanne Burnell. It's written like a textbook, okay? It's something I think would show up in a, in a college class. There's no sales pitches in there. And it can give you a fairly straightforward presentation of the facts. If you don't have a copy of this book, call us and uh, you can buy it from us cheaper than Amazon sells it. And we will pay for your shipping if you're in the United States. If you don't like the book after you buy it from us, we will give you your money back. So email us at hello at nyafinancialpodcast.com or call us at 1-800-962-9141 and mention this episode and what we're offering here. And we'd be happy to send you that book for cheaper than what you can buy on Amazon. A few sites that will do a fair job is Investopedia.com's own Guide to Dividend Paying Whole Life Insurance. And in addition to reading, go back and listen to some of our other episodes, which show the proof on our own show notes. Episode 74 compares what Dave Ramsey says about whole life 
to what Pamela Yellen and Bank on Yourself policies are talking about. And it gives actual policies in the show notes, pictures, dividends, you know, images, and more. I mean, what more proof do we need? Check out how banks and mutual life insurance companies compare to each other in episode 55. And to see real policies in action, check out episode 6, 36, 91, and 110. I mean, man, one of these days, I'll just put a playlist of all these together and put them up on Spotify or something. But until then, make your own playlist and have some fun doing it too. So we want to wrap up here today. Thank you again for that. Uh, We do have one more episode on this topic, but before we go in, we'll take a pause this week. I want to ask, uh, you know, what was your favorite or memorable money mistake? What was your favorite or memorable money mistake? It could be a mistake you made or you saw someone else make, but that is our question of the month. Go to www.speakpipe.com slash NYAFP and leave us a message before March 15th. And I would be happy if you do that to give you a free book, Rescue Your Retirement by Pamela Yellen. Rescue Your Retirement is one of the new, newest books by Pamela Yellen, New York Times bestselling author. I'll give you a copy of the book for free if you leave me a message before March 15th to contribute to our upcoming mini-series. And you can also click on that link. Again, it's speakpipe.com NYAFP, but you can also go to it in our show notes. Finally, I want to do a listener shout out to Sean Hirschberger. He wrote, logical and insightful, Mark and Holly host guests from a wide variety of backgrounds and demonstrate how financial security provides a base for people to achieve their life goals while maintaining a fulfilling life along the journey. Excellent content, five stars. Well, thank you, Sean. My pleasure. And we want to keep creating great content for you all. So share what you'd like. Give me some ideas on what topics you'd like to include. And don't forget to join us for another episode for Not Your Average Financial Podcast next Friday, as always, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.